Thank you, Rosemary, for leading us in our reading of the, the last chapter of John's Gospel. It's hard to believe that we as a congregation have been journeying through the book for the past year almost from September last year, and today in our reading we reach its climax. I have learned a lot, and I hope you have too, and as we have journeyed through it time and time again, we see Jesus ministry, we see Jesus witnessing, testifying to the things of the Father, and we see what he wants to do in the beloved community that will exist after his departure. We saw last week how he was raised from the dead, and this morning what we have in this last chapter are his parting words, his thoughts to that community, to encourage them, to inspire them, but what we see is his individual conversations with disciples. English professors love uh, to catch errors that students make in their um, essays and exams. I'm sure if someone was to mark some of the stuff that I write, it would be littered with mistakes. But some <coughs> uh, lecturers at Calvin College in the States have posted online a list of mixed metaphors that students have used in their exams. And I have to be honest, as I read that this the, during the week, I didn't really get some of the mixed metaphors, but maybe, maybe you will. Okay, so the first one is, he swept the rug under the carpet. The second one is, she's burning the midnight oil at both ends. The third one is, it was so cold last night, I had to throw another blanket on the fire. Another one was, it's time to step up to the plate and cut the mustard. Another, another is, yeah, I'm starting to get them now. Another was, she's robbing Peter to pay the piper. Another one, this is probably something I'd write, he's up the tree without a paddle. Another one, beware my friend, you're skating on hot water. Mm, that could be interesting. That's not going to be a Commonwealth sport anytime soon. Another one is, keep your ear to the grindstone. Another one is, sometimes you've got to stick your neck out on a limb. Another one is, some people sail through life on a bed of roses like a knife slicing through butter. I kid you not, these are genuine responses. These are things that students had written in their term papers. And yeah, some of them probably, Desi, you marked in some of my essays. But anyway, back to the story that we have shared together this morning. Because what we discover in John chapter 21 is that it too is a chapter of mixed metaphors. Because at the start, Jesus is talking about fishing, and then he moves on to talk about shepherding. And I wonder what would happen if we were to put the two together. Maybe we might get fishing for sheep, or maybe we might get shepherding fish. But even though these may be two mixed metaphors, the, the chapter that we have shared together does indeed provide a wonderful balance for the ministry of the church. Of course, it is hard to set a time frame on the chapter that we have read together this morning, because it's obviously an epilogue, maybe even an afterthought, Jesus meeting his disciples on that beach, cooking with them, um, providing maybe what is the first recorded barbecue in Scripture. 
But it is in the last two chapters of chapter, or the last two verses of chapter 20, which we shared together last week, that we get the context for what we read this morning. Because we read that Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written about in this book, but these are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that you may have life in his name. The the verses that we have shared together this morning make an ideal ending for the book Sorry, those verses make an ideal ending. The gospel writer could have stopped just there. But John decides to add on, to include a few more stories before he reaches his final conclusion. And although chapter 21 is an epilogue, scholars say that, sorry, although chapter 21 is an epilogue. When we look back and when we review the events of chapter 20, we see that Jesus was raised from the dead. We see that Jesus appeared to Mary and the women on that Sunday morning. And then in the Sunday evening, he appeared to the disciples, but Thomas was not with them. Then a week later, we see that Jesus appeared to them again, and he makes a personal appeal to Thomas. And our story, which takes place in chapter 21, sometime after that original encounter. We see that seven of the disciples are gathered together in one place. They were maybe still confused, uncertain about what was going to happen next. The man who had been leading them for three years suddenly departed, and they find themselves back on a boat. They had no idea how to continue and carry on Jesus' ministry. They had listened to him. They had lingered on his every word, yet in a moment, they were uncertain. Perhaps they were having conversations with themselves that went something like this. Nathaniel, for example, may have said, we saw nothing of Jesus from Sunday to Sunday during the first week after his resurrection, and now he has disappeared again. When do you think we'll see him again? Maybe Peter responded, I have no idea. In fact, I'm actually getting a bit frustrated with his absence because it was easy to follow Jesus around during his earthly ministry. But what are we supposed to do now? How do we function when he just seems to keep on popping up here and there, now and then? And furthermore, I'm tired of all this sitting about and waiting. I have got to get out of this place. I'm going fishing. And the other disciples, maybe too, were frustrated with Jesus' absence. And they would maybe all chime in, well, maybe we'll just go fishing with you. Because they were all eager to return to what was familiar to them. Some scholars as they reflect on this chapter that we have shared together this morning, suggests that actually the fact that the disciples find themselves back on a boat is actually an act of doubt. These disciples, of course, had been fishermen before Jesus called them from their nets. Perhaps they they went fishing because 
they had given up on their new vocation. Maybe they were just returning to their previous way of making a living. After all, Jesus is gone, so maybe we'll just go back to what we're used to. Or perhaps maybe just this fisherman's trip was an excuse to leave the stress of the workday behind and return to nature. So they find themselves on a boat. We can imagine being on a boat in the middle of night, darkness everywhere, desperately trying to find some fish, which our reading tells us were non-existent until they managed to um, get that massive haul. There they are, in the midst of the fog, and they hear a voice calling from the shore. They could make out one lone figure, but they could hear what he said. And what he said was this, have you anything to eat? There they are, alone in the middle of the sea. Do you have anything to eat? And no, they didn't. So they cast their nets on the other side of the boat. And what happens is surprising. And what happens is startling. And what happens is probably for them a little bit unbelievable. Because they've been out there all night fishing and caught nothing. Yet they turn and put the net on the other side of the boat. And suddenly they have 153 fish. 153 fish. Amazing sometimes the detail that Scripture goes into as it is recorded for us. What is the point scholars have argued over the years about this 153? What does it symbolize? Because we know that John, the whole way through his gospel, has been full of examples where things mean more than meet the eye, where things are suggesting something deeper going on below the surface. Maybe it's a reference back to Old Testament prophets. Maybe the fact that they're out fishing is an example of the fact that really Jesus had called them from their nets to go out and be fishers of men, and now they're back on the boat once more. So they fish, and then they have a breakfast. They probably remembered that last meal that they had shared with Jesus in the upper room, where he had talked about his body being broken for them, where he had talked about his blood being shed for them, and it was. And now they find themselves back around a meal, sharing in some hospitality, encouraging each other. And we have that interesting encounter between Jesus and Peter, because we see him asking Peter, does he actually love him? We remember the three times that Peter had denied him round the fire, yet Jesus once more issues three questions. Do you love me? And some scholars in the Greek have argued that there was actually different terms for love going on here, because in some examples they argue that um, Jesus was actually wanting a deeper, more meaningful relationship with Peter, yet really all he was wanting to do was offer friendship. But Jesus asks the question three times. Three times. And as we encounter this chapter in Scripture this morning, what we see 
is those two metaphors. We see the fishing and we see the shepherding. And for us, it is important. For us, it is important to be like those disciples, to be involved in mission, to cast out our nets into the communities around us, the places where we work, the homes in which we live, the situations in which we live and breathe and move, to cast out those nets and see the haul that Jesus and God will bring back to us. But we're not just to go out there and fish. We're not just to go out there and fill this place, but rather we're also to shepherd. And to shepherd, as we have seen, has been modeled on Jesus, who himself was the great shepherd, as we encountered earlier in John's gospel. Jesus, the shepherd, calls us to shepherd his flock, to get alongside people, to encourage people, to disciple people, to encounter people as they are, yet long for them to be so much more that they can be in Jesus. This morning, as we head back out, as we head into the communities in which we work and live and breathe, why don't we go fish? Why don't we go fish for sheep? Or why don't we try shepherding for fish? Because Jesus commands us. Jesus relies on us to be his hands and feet, to do his will in the areas where we live and work and breathe and move. So let's go. I'm not a great fisher, but I'm prepared to give it a go. I've never shepherded sheep, but I'm prepared to give it a go. Let us as a community of believers then go and shepherd. Let us fish and let us be surprised at what Jesus can and will do through us. Because as we have encountered time and time again in John's gospel and in scripture as a whole, Jesus uses the ones that no one would expect. Jesus uses the outsider. Jesus even uses those who seem to have turned their back on him, yet are found in his presence as he returns on that Galilean lake. So let us go. Let us go to live a life of service and action. Let us go to fish and let us go to shepherd. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, once again, as we come to Scripture, we are reminded of your challenges to us. Your challenge to love you and serve you, and how at times that's difficult. How at times we feel underprepared. How at times maybe we feel like those disciples on the lake in the middle of the night, catching nothing. Yet we're reminded by your witness in Scripture, by your words laid down for us, that we are to be engaged in mission, that we are to serve you, that we are to fish, and that we are to shepherd, and most of all, we are to love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.